Welcome to the Paleo View. I'm Stacy Toth of PaleoParents.com. You might also know me as the broth lady or the inventor of the hashtag more vegetables than a vegetarian. I'm the co-author of several paleo cookbooks, including Eat Like a Dinosaur, Beyond Bacon, Real Life Paleo. I like to talk about health at any size and self-love and personal acceptance. Specifically, I have a love for lifting heavy things. If you're interested in finding more out about that, you can also find me on Strong Woman Radio. And I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne of thepaleomom.com. I'm the New York Times bestselling author of The Paleo Approach and The Paleo Approach Cookbook. I'm passionate about nutrient density and the intersection of diet and lifestyle with health, which really means I just love talking about science. News and views, where Sarah and I catch up and you get to listen to our gossip. So, um... I'm hoping that this bad string of luck that I've had lately has ended with the fact that Jesse Tyler, one of the stars of Modern Family, posted a photo of his cookbook shelves on Instagram and Beyond Bacon is on this cookbook shelf. What? I'm just taking this as like a step towards... um, Officially, the wheel is turning in the other direction now. Yeah, right? I mean, that's the only way I can take this sign. Clearly. Because you are really... You're really due for for the others the other the upswing. You're really yeah. You've had your little cluster of bad, and now it's time for a cluster of good. I keep trying to you know like find the positive in these things, but on Saturday I volunteered at a um, garden type space that is being turned into a green space in the city, and there's like bags of concrete that needed to be moved and um i don't think i told you this actual story you did not so what what happened is that i was being really smart and i was shuffling the bags along the ground in a position that was working fine for my body and my injured back which i've been really careful to recover from the injury two months ago when i wrestled the United States strongest woman. <laughs> and um so I was shuffling this bag along the ground and this dude came up to me and was like, Oh, that's really heavy. Let me get that for you. And that thing in my brain clicked where I was like, I'll show you. I'm no weakling. I'm strong woman. And so I was like, No, I got it. And I picked it up like I was cleaning it like to my lap and then popped it up onto my chest with my hips. And the minute that I popped it up onto my hips, up like up onto my chest with my hips, I felt that um, issue that I've been having in my back and my hips, like just snapped. And um, so, yeah, I'm back to basically square one where I was with my back injury two months ago because I am not a smart woman who is really bullheaded and stubborn. Ah, <laughs> uh, there's the, the C word. The, no, not that C word. I was like, I don't know what you're saying right now. Oh. I'm pretty sure it's not appropriate. No. Competitive <laughs> yeah. was the C word I was thinking of. All of you people listening, my brain doesn't work that way, and you should never think that I thought that. Just, whew, goodness. No, com- I mean, because I, I may or may not be a little bit, a lot, 
really competitive. And so I totally understand the whole need to <clears throat> show off. And um, I'm just saying I totally probably would have done the same thing and would also be really mad at myself afterwards. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. So um, anyway, as I stated, I am I am laying down to record this podcast and was just tagged in a photo um, on Instagram where our cookbook is on the shelf of a famous person that we really like and respect. So that's super exciting. And I'm just going to take that as a maybe you can be besties now. Totally. I think that's really likely. I'm just going to call him mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could. I totally, I mean, totally happen. <laughs> maybe we'll invite him over for dinner. That's plausible for sure. Um, so what's going on with you? Uh, it's a book, book, it's a book going to, so I thought yesterday was our print date. And then something like five days ago, I was informed that no, the print date is Wednesday. And you like, you know, you know how this goes. I, I've. And Wednesday will actually be next Monday, by the way. Well, so it's actually apparently going to be Thursday now, but, um, this book is kind of there. The way we're doing it is a little bit different than how our publishers ever done books before, because of the way they pushed up the timeline. It meant that there was a lot more multitasking with this book. So a lot like basically every person in the entire company is working on this book right now and working on a different part. And so there's a lot of things happening all at the same time that would normally happen one after the other. And overall, it seems to be working really well. And so one of the things is the book actually technically went to print 10 days ago. So you know how basically you upload the book to the printer's servers and then they print sample pages and then the sample pages are sent and then you like to check the coloring and, and you know, how, how it looks. And then that's approved and then that gets sent back. That's already been done. So what they actually mean is the book pages are going to start the cover actually started printing today and the pages are actually going to start coming off the printer on Thursday. So it's like this really crazy, like normally when it goes to the printer, it's still about a week and a half before the printer actually starts making books. When they say Thursday, they really mean like the books will start actually coming off of a giant machine somewhere in Vermont in, I think it's in Vermont on Thursday. So, um, it's kind of a crazy, like it's, it's, it's a very interesting difference from the first two books. And I'm glad that I have a relatively good sense of what I'm doing by now. Like it really feels as busy as things are, and as much as I have to go through some pages to, you know, approve some things tonight, um, after we're done recording and I, really just want to have a mineral salts bath and go to bed. Um, I might see if I can multitask, not with my computer. That's not, but I'm going to think about that. I'm going to troubleshoot. Um, so as much as like it's hectic and it's busy and I'm trying to find like, what can I cancel? What can I move to two weeks from now? Like, what can I do to like simplify my life and get things off my plate? I feel so like psychologically fine. Um, whereas this phase it, this phase in the cookbook, I actually told my publisher, I'm like, I'm done working on it now. And I know it's supposed to go to print in a few days, but I'm done. So don't call me anymore. And I'm not doing anything else. I'm done. <laughs> he was like, okay. 
you could be done. And with the paleo approach, I mean, at this phase, I was just a zombie. I was angry all the time. I was, you know, like snapping at the kids and burning broccoli and then bursting into tears and then having like major fight or flight response and fantasizing about getting in the car and just driving away forever and just driving away. And I never did. But the compulsion and and the urge was there. And this time I'm just like, you know, I PR'd my back squat yesterday and I PR'd my power clean today. And I don't mean to brag since you have a bad back, but, um, no, I'm glad I, somebody gets to work out. <laughs> I like, I, you know, like even physically, right. My body's performing, um, when all of this other chaos is happening and it's to me, I'm just like, okay, now this is a collaborative project. So it's a, um, I, you know, I have a co-author Elena Haber from Grace and enthused. She has put so much heart and soul into this book. Um, and so it's a little bit different than my other books just because there's also two people to spread this workload between. So I'm trying to like tell myself not to get too smug, but I've also put so much effort into my, the way my life is structured to make sure that I can write books. Cause I have signed contracts for two more books right now. Um, and ideas for 10 and, or 12 and or 13. And I, I really need to figure out, you know, how I can continue to create this type of content um, and protect my own health, right? You know, I I want to make resources to help, you know, improve public health and help people regain their health and help, you know, really, you know, turn the tide of disease in Western societies. Um, and I want to figure out how to do that. That's not at the expense of my own health, which is really what the paleo approach was. You know, that was like a two year recovery to get back to pre the paleo approach health. Um, and so I, I feel like, okay, it's, I shouldn't knock on wood as I say things because, you know, it hasn't actually gone to print yet and we'll see what happens, but, um, I'm feeling really good. And it, it makes me feel like, okay, you know, like, what I'm doing to make sure I'm getting enough sleep, to make sure I'm getting to the gym four times a, a day or not a day, well, four times a week, um, you know, making sure that I have this, you know, cuddly laughter focused time with my kids, um, you know, like that. It's funny because I'm carving out more time for other things and that's actually making me more efficient in my time that I'm focused on the book. And, um, and so I'm, you know, I'm feeling really good about, okay, you know, I, I really laid down these ground rules for how I was going to protect myself and so far so good. So, you know, the real trick is going to be the next book, which is going to be another big epic. Both of the next two books are going to be big epic science tomes like the paleo approach. And those are, um, much more demanding to write. They're much more demanding to edit. Uh, there's a lot more psychological pressure because it's right. It's a summary of the scientific literature that I'm trying to bring to the public. And I feel this um, pressure to be right. right, like this pressure to represent the science accurately and not recommend stupid things um, so that people can get healthier based on that information rather than, you know, make a mistake and have that not happen. So because of that additional sort of pressure, um, those, those books are just, you know, uh, one out of the three that I've written has been a lot more psychological stress in addition to it's, you know, five times the word count, right. It's just a much 
bigger amount of stuff to create. So, um, so now, but I, you know, I got to practice with healing kitchen and now we'll see as I move into, to the next big book, um, you know, if these strategies can continue to really, you know, not just protect my health, but help me continue on my health journey and my, my desire to continuously improve my health. So, um, that's not, what I planned on talking about in this podcast, but there, it just all came out. So what were we planning on talking about in this podcast? So there was a thing. (laughs) There's always a thing, but this seems to be pretty widespread. (laughs) So, um, I, you know, I, I texted you earlier today and said, I think, you know, the podcast that we're, we're planning on doing, I think we really need to put it off. And I think we really need to talk about this because it's hit, uh, mainstream media, it's hit social media, it's it's all over the place. And um, I did a Facebook post yesterday um, it, that was a response to it that went extremely viral, um, which is always fun and slightly um, panic-inducing to watch. Um, and so I, I really felt like this is a big topic. So yesterday morning, um, this is Monday morning. So by the time you guys are listening to the podcast, this is five day old news, but hopefully I'm pretty sure it'll still be relevant. Um, the world health organization released or published a statement in the Lancet, which is a very, very high level, very reputable, uh, scientific journal. Um, and they have now, um, classified, red meat and processed meat as uh, carcinogens. And so they've, they've done this literature view, review. They've looked at, you know, they had a, a working group. They went through, they did a literature review. Um, and they, based on that review of the scientific literature and a majority opinion, so it was sort of like a voting system with this, the scientists on this group, um, have decided to label processed meats as a um, international agency for research on cancer group one carcinogen, uh, which means it is confirmed carcinogenic to humans. That's what the definition of group one IARC is. Um, And they've decided to label red meat as a group two A carcinogen, um, uh, which means probably carcinogenic to humans and it's just like it goes group one and then group group 2a and then group 2b and then group two i think it goes group 2c and then group three like it keeps going so like group 2a is just one notch below group one and they have come up with these labels based on a majority although not um uh not you know, uniform um, epidemiological studies linking high um, processed and red meat consumption with colorectal cancer. And, um, And they've done this, even in their statement, they sort of say, despite the fact that this has never been confirmed or explained in animal studies. I mean, there's a huge collection of animal studies that are trying to understand why uh, high red meat or processed meat consumption may cause colorectal cancer um, or permit the development of colorectal cancer, you know, 
increased growth of colorectal cancer? How, like, where, where is the actual link? So despite the fact that there's no really solid explanation in the science yet showing, you know, A is meat, then there's B, then there's C, and then there's D is cancer, right? And A leads to B, leads to C, leads to D, right? We don't know for, for sure how many steps there are in between and exactly what those steps are. Although there's, there are some ideas and, I, and I'll, I'll, I'd love to talk about that. But um, basically with this, you know, the statement, right? And there's a press release. Um, the media stories were all like, bacon will kill you. And you've got this basic like Twitter wars, like the social media of now um, plant-based diet, vegetarian, vegans on, on sort of one side being like, nah, nah, I told you so. And, um, and a lot of that um, perspective represented in the mainstream media stories. So basically saying – uh, red meat causes cancer, so everyone should do a plant-based diet, right? That's sort of the gist of a lot of the mainstream media stories that are, um, you know, letting people know about the World Health Organization determinants of red meat and processed meats as carcinogens. And then you have the backlash to that. So you have every type of response from, you know, I've already given up smoking and booze. How dare you take away my bacon? Um, to, you know, outright, you know, refusal of, um, to sort of, you know, accept that there could be a link to, right. In the paleo community, our standard response for any time there's any kind of story that says, you know, meat consumption might be bad. We go, oh, well, they didn't look at grass fed meat. They didn't look at organic meat. Right. So you see that. Um, and, and it's, it's become like, a really heated emotional topic. It's amazing when you think of, you know, processed meats have gone, are labeled as a, as a group one carcinogen. Um, when you think about some of the other things that are group one carcinogens, right? Like cigarettes, like mustard gas, like benzene, right? Like these are really crazy, harsh chemicals. Um, and even red meat as a group 2A carcinogen, that's in the same category as things like lead and urethane and acrylamide, like, you know, harsh, you know, chemicals again that, you know, you understand, right? You understand lead poisoning. Okay. So red meat is now the same as lead poisoning. Like it's just, um, it's, it's really hit people in a very sort of gut place. And especially because, it's a fairly typical, I think, thing for people to enjoy bacon and steak. And so I felt like this was a pretty major event that was worth, we we always like to say, you know, we try to always record our podcast with as small a period of time as we can manage to get all of the production done before it's live and in people's phones um, so that we can talk about these topical things. And this felt like, exactly exactly that have you seen have you seen all of the the emotion around this so i've just seen some um brands of meat products coming out with um statements kind of against it so to speak um 
And I think it's interesting because I see these kinds of things and I think I've just been part of the real food movement for so long. And there are so many, like, for example, um, egg yolks have cholesterol, they're bad for you. And then the FDA changes their minds and says, actually, no, we were wrong. Saturated fat and cholesterol are fine. Um, and knowing what I know about um, the nutrient density of meat, um, especially when paired with uh, vegetables, which we've talked about before, that I hear these kinds of announcements or I see these kinds of things in, in headlines. And to me, it just goes in one ear and out the other because I'm like, well, that's inconsistent with information I'm already comfortable with. And so I think I think it's really um, awesome that you haven't well, you probably have reached that point, but you also are providing the kind of science and response for well, people that I, aren't yet there yet, right? Yeah. Like not everybody has five years of, of knowledge and research and comfort with this. And so um, I think it's interesting also paired with the idea that the Whole30 was featured on Dr. Oz this week. And so I'm kind of interested in reconciling the people who might have been exposed to the idea of a paleo type diet and it's okay to eat meat. And then literally with the same breath being like, Oh wait, that's, you know, no longer. Okay. You know, so I think it's, it is confusing for people, all of the various information that is in media. I think that what makes this a little bit different, um, you know, one of the things that I did was I, there was a collection of scientific studies that came out in the, in July, um, that were linking, and explaining, you know, a, a meat cancer connection. And it became this like, you know, every three days there was a new, you know, not necessarily mainstream, but sort of like the second tier media um, sort of presenting something about it. And um, and I was like, I, I've talked about bits of this on the podcast. I've talked about bits of this on social media. It's time to like really do a big thorough blog post and really address this issue up front. And so what I did yesterday was like, hey, guess what? I just recently wrote about all this and uh, here it is. Um, but I think what made this a little bit different yesterday was the fact that it was the World Health Organization, um, which is a very different body from the FDA. And generally one, you know, I I would go so far as to say this is the first time I've really strongly disagreed with the World Health Organization on a, a statement. And Generally, I think that's because the um, burden of proof for the World Health Organization is tends to be more rigorous and it tends to be um, a little bit less uh, susceptible to, for example, lobbies. Um, and so I, you know, I tend to think of World Health Organizations, World Health, you know, statements like this. Um, I, I tend to think of this the stuff that they you know recommend as being really on the money and um and I think that's one of the reasons why this caused such a kerfuffle because it's such a reputable organization making such a like such a strong statement i mean when they come out and say you know added sugars shouldn't be more than ten percent of your diet right then you kind of go like well even ten percent's a lot of added sugars, and you're saying that any whole food sugar is fine right like it's that's a pretty meek statement compared to meat causes cancer. Um, you know, and they've really very definitively said, right. You're if you eat it's like two slices of bacon a week, I think that might be a slight exaggeration. Then your risk of cancer increases by 
18% or right there's lots of these little stats around i'm not sure that they're they're fully representative of what the of what the statement actually was but um and i think that's why this has caused such a um emotional and international reaction is because we look at the world health organization as being um as pretty much as objective as we can expect a human organization to be. Um, whereas we look at the FDA and we look at all the little, you know, the little voices behind any kind of policy, right? It, it doesn't have the same weight typically. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that I want to talk about a little bit, I mean, I think I can sort of refer people back to um, the blog post that I published in the summer um, I published it in August and it was called the link between me and cancer. Um, and we can make sure that there's um, links in the show notes. But one of the things that I feel has been very missed in this designation is the idea of a conditional carcinogen. And this is not something that is really well defined in science. And it's certainly not, you know, part of um, the IARC definitions, but the idea of something that is carcinogenic in like when it is present with or when something is absent, right? Like the idea that um, something is only a problem in a certain circumstance and the rest of the time it's not. And I think that's what the science really shows with meat consumption, as we start to tease apart um, the individual mechanisms that may be responsible for an increased cancer incidence, at least colorectal cancer, with high meat consumption, we see this very, very strong theme. So there's really four mechanisms that have been, um, you know, are, are possible explanations for why high processed and red meat consumption may cause cancer. And at least three out of those four, um, that doesn't have like that thing that links it, that doesn't happen when you also eat lots of vegetables, not, not even that many vegetables, five servings a day. Um, and so it's, it's a very interesting link because, you know, it is true. Um, you know, I am not going to say, oh, meat doesn't cause cancer because it adds nutrients to our diet or meat doesn't cause cancer because we only eat grass-fed meat and that's a different, you know, we only eat organic grass-fed meat and wild meat. Um, those arguments when it comes to discussing meat and cancer are not the right arguments to make. Um, they're, they're great arguments for other topics. Um, you know, it's great when we're talking about um, – the, you know, effects from hormones in meat or the effects of, you know, the types of fats that are in meat, or if we're going to talk about nutrient density, or if we're going to talk about uh, ecology and sustainability and the environmental impact of raising meat. Um, when we're talking about the meat cancer link, all of the compounds in meat that have been linked to cancer are no different uh, depending on how that meat is raised. So they are unfortunately in 
grass-fed meat just as much as they are in conventional meat. And so that changes, right, that changes the discussion. As soon as we say meat quality is sort of moot for this discussion, um, let's now let's talk. And so what's fascinating to me, though, is, you know, heme is probably a really good example. So um, one of the mechanisms linking red meat to cancer is the way that heme um, is metabolized. Heme is, a, is an iron-based molecule. Um, for example, it's the base molecule of hemoglobin. And it's the base molecule of actually a lot of different enzymes um, in, in the human body as well. And it's, it's red, and it's actually especially rich red meat. It's what actually gives red meat its darker red color is uh, heme iron. And it turns out that um, heme can be metabolized with the cells that line the digestive tract into cytotoxic compounds, so into compounds that are damaging to cells. And um, these compounds do damage uh, the gut lining, they do cause um, sort of dysregulated cell division, uh, which can lead to cancer. Um, these are all sort of precursor events to cancer development. And it turns out that chlorophyll, which is what is in leaves that make them green, right? Chlorophyll is how leaves capture energy from the sun and convert it into sugar for the plant to live. Um, chlorophyll has an incredibly similar structure to heme. It basically has magnesium in the middle instead of iron in the middle. And it turns out that when chlorophyll is present in the digestive tract at the same time as heme, it changes how heme is metabolized by those cells. And instead of producing like a harmful metabolic byproduct, it produces uh, inert compounds. And so it basically, when you have something green, you eat some broccoli beside your steak, it completely changes the sort of pre-cancerous effects, right? It completely changes the compounds that may be permissive to cancer growth that are produced as our bodies digest and, and sort of handle the compounds in, in those foods. And so we see those types of links um, between meat consumption and, and cancer risk um, again and again, that as soon as you say, hey, and also eat some vegetables – then your the mechanism doesn't happen anymore, and so it starts to be not that you know high meat diets cause cancer. It starts to be that high meat diets that are simultaneously very low in vegetable content, right? The types of diets where tomato sauce is one of your vegetables and French fries is one of your vegetables, right? Like these very nutrient poor, right? They don't have the fiber, they don't have the chlorophyll, they don't have all the phytonutrients. Um, those are the diets that are creating an environment in which cancer is more likely to grow. As soon as you add vegetables, you're basically completely negating the cancer risk from high meat consumption. And we see this in scientific studies. So when you do, like we've got this mechanistic data that backs that up, but also when you start to look at epidemiological studies and look at this population eats more of this, right? These people and we then followed them for 12 years or whatever it is, and we did these diet surveys. We figured out what they were eating, and then we looked to see if they get cancer. When you correct for, like usually these studies will correct for other lifestyle things. They'll correct for smoking. They'll correct for weight. They'll correct for gender. They'll correct for age. They don't always correct for vegetable intake. But 
typically, and in fact, I've never seen a study, that doesn't mean there isn't one out there, that once they corrected for vegetable intake, still had a correlation. So what I see in these studies is if they correct for vegetable intake, so if they adjust for that, then they find that meat cancer link disappears. So what they find is if you eat a lot of meat and you also eat lots of vegetables, there's no link. If you eat a lot of meat, you don't eat very many vegetables, there is a link. And that amount of vegetables that's sort of the cusp to to negate an effect from high meat consumption is about five servings a day. Um, and the more you eat, the better. And I mean, veg, high vegetable consumption is linked to lower risk of every chronic illness. And so that to me makes, you can't just uniformly say that meat causes cancer because it's this very specific situation where meat is, is carcinogenic and where, you know, the conversation is like, eat less meat, eat more plants. You, yeah, but like, I want to see this conversation be, um, you know, not demonizing meat, but rather talking about why it's important to have this balance of vegetables and proteins on our plate and, and why that actually improves health and actually, you know, makes this link something that's not going to be a problem for public health. That to me is the conversation that needs to happen that is not happening. Yeah, I, th- I think those are really important points. And I, f- I feel like consistent with the information and and messages that we've had we i mean we did a vegetable show we talked about this we talked about it last week with danielle about you know five servings of vegetables and i think what's interesting that also people don't talk about you know when people talk to me about the paleo diet and and specifically in the uh, lifting community one of the things that i try to impart on people is like hey you know all those fish oils that you're taking, those omega-3 pills that you're taking, how about you eat food sources that are high in those omega-3 fatty acids naturally instead of supplementing with those foods and then eating a ton of, you know, empty calorie foods because they're not, they're not replenishing with vegetables, right? They're replenishing with, uh, Carbohydrate, And when you're lifting, carbohydrate can be beneficial, but not if what you're doing is eating a lot of chicken breast, which is really low in omega-3 and high in omega-6, which can cause inflammation, right? So it's like, it's also a difference in meat, like this idea that it's processed meats that's the problem. It's like, what is it about the processed meat? What can you point to to tell me, like, what is the problem? Because if all you're doing to a pork belly is adding salt and letting it sit for a week, you haven't actually changed the carcinogenic factor of that food product. And yes, an Oscar Mayer hot dog with a bunch of junk in it is not a highly... uh, a nutrient-dense food, but to categorize all meat product or, you know, processed meat product together, people don't understand the difference in the varying types of meat. And so for me to talk to people who are very aware of food that are either tangentially interested in paleo or who are very, um, 
aware of nutrients because they lift and they pay attention to macronutrients, for me to have a conversation with them about how switching to a leaner ground beef versus a chicken breast could actually help reduce their inflammation and the need for fish oil pills, it like it blows their mind. And there are so many beneficial things about meat that aren't really talked about in the community. You know, they point to salmon as being a healthy fat, but then they don't talk about those similar fatty acids being available in other foods that are also meats like ground beef, right? So it's yeah. it's it's fascinating to me the way that it it comes out and it's not I don't think it's in it information that is truly representative of what they know to be facts. Even so far as like what you're saying in the scientific literature and vegetables, I think that that's all really valid points, but they're also a little bit nuanced in so far as what, what we could expect from, you know, g- general announcements, um, whether it be from who or FDA or USDA or, or wherever these kind of information are coming from. But all those organizations are very aware of omega-3 versus omega-6. And that's, that's like the basic function that they're recommending fish oil. And yet here we are, people are going to read this article and assume what about which meats that are good or aren't bad for them? And how, how do they, it, that line isn't very clear. And I, I think it's really unfortunate because it's just so much confusion about um, what is or isn't being recommended. I think there's a, there's a huge aspect of this, right? That is like uh, Lauren Cardane's books um, where there's this focus on lean meats because there's the assumption that you will not go to the work to get high quality meat that has healthy fats in it. And so there's this, um, there's, you know, we end up, end up recommending the not quite right thing, right? I'm not going to say the wrong thing, but there's the, the oversimplified and not nuanced and, you know, not full story recommendation in the assumption that a someone's not going to be interested in understanding why or b someone's not going to be able to understand all that hard science that drives me crazy like people can understand science you just have to explain it in a like way that is accessible and seriously it's not that hard um or that b that people are going to just be apathetic right and not not want to do the work, right? Not want to go get grass-fed um, meat and not want to go to a farmer's market and go to, you know, local organic produce, right? There's this assumption that the majority of people uh, are not going to make a big change. So let's let's choose for them what small change they're going to make. And I feel like that's a very disrespectful way to make um, not just make diet recommendations, but to educate people, right? Like that's, that's what we're all trying to do. We're trying to help um, the general public have a really thorough understanding of what foods are healthy foods, what foods are not healthy foods, and what foods are somewhere in the middle that are okay on occasion, depending on who you are and you get to experiment, right? And really understanding what the best choices are and giving people the resources and the tools to be able to make those decisions as often as possible. I mean, that's why there's so many amazing, you know, um, 
grass-fed meat companies that deliver nationwide now. That's why there's so many, you know, like uh, Barefoot Provisions and One-Stop Paleo Shop, you know, these these companies that are delivering all of your pantry items to your door. That's why Amazon's doing so well, right? There's, there's, um, there's so many resources now that are like really convenient and functional resources. And I feel that whenever we take a topic like this and we break it down to now here's the rule you're going to follow. And you were spot on with egg yolks and cholesterol, right? This is the exact same. We're going to take some science. And in this case, we're going to take a few tens of thousands of scientific papers, right? Each one of those papers took a lab of people, three, four, five, six different people working on it, probably a year. That's about the standard pace for, for, for most labs to produce one scientific paper, right? Like a year to do, to, to figure out that one piece of the puzzle and publish it in a peer reviewed scientific journal, right? So we're going to take these tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of, of you know, hundreds of thousands of man hours of scientific investigation to create this detailed understanding. And we're going to make a rule out of it. And it's going to be a 10 word rule. And that's what we're going to, that's what we're going to communicate to the general public. Like it, it's, how can we expect to make any change without changing how we communicate? Like we have clearly shown over the last 50 years that a set of rules and the simpler, the better, right? That's always the, that's always the goal. Let's make a simple set of rules. We'll give people four food groups. Oh no, wait, we'll make them five food groups, five food groups that people will just eat from those five food groups. And we'll tell them how many servings to get, right? Distilling dietary recommendations to these simple rules. It doesn't work. That does not work. It has not worked. We've really proved it doesn't work. Let's try a broader scientific uh, foundation. Let's try actually having conversations about the data and talk about the nuances and explain that in a way that is going to be engaging and is going to give people the information they need to make a choice. And in this case, the choice isn't don't eat bacon, right? The choice is you know, have some vegetables on the side, right? So instead of having I don't know if people have steak and bacon for breakfast. That seems like a really meat-heavy breakfast. Do you, have you a, ever had? I have steak and eggs for breakfast sometimes, or eggs and bacon, but not bacon. Okay, and steak. so steak, steak, steak and eggs, steaks and eggs is a thing. Okay, so like instead of steak and eggs for breakfast, like steak and eggs in your eggs is actually a frittata or an omelet with lots of vegetables in it, or you know, and maybe you have some berries on the side, right? Like that changes how your body responds to that meal. And it it's a pretty simple choice for someone to make when you we're constantly asking people to make these choices of deprivation, right? We're constantly saying, don't eat this, don't eat this, this is bad for you. And it's all the yummiest foods that we're saying that no one should eat, right? Like it, there's a lot of yummy foods. Don't eat that, don't eat that, all junk food, right? Junk, junk food is amazingly tempting. It's engineered to be highly palatable. And when you just say, don't eat that, don't eat that, don't eat that, you end up with, a, you know, the way I used to be, right? I wouldn't eat it, I wouldn't eat it, I wouldn't eat it, and then I would eat all of it. And, uh, you know, and I'd go through these cycles of deprivation and binge, deprivation and binge, and then more binge and more binge and more binge and 300 pounds later and whatever. But 
it doesn't it doesn't work to just do deprivation. You know, part of this is helping people understand what to eat rather than just what not to eat. And then part of this is really giving a thorough explanation as to why. I mean, that's the best motivator. If you just know a food isn't good for you and don't really understand what it might do to your body, it's a it's a very different mental calculation in making that choice compared to really understanding what, you know, what the physiological consequences are of eating, you know, one thing versus another. That changes how we process that information to make a choice. And I think that's what we need now, right? We need to be, um, we need to be talking about things like the colorectal cancer processed and red meat link in a much more thorough way. And you look at all of these, you know, they're like five to 800 word articles on major media websites. And I, you could still communicate a more detailed version of that, you know, that link in that amount of words, um, just by not, not being as repetitive. And, and give people information that will actually help them change their, their lives and change their health. I got really soapboxy there. It's cool. I think we've totally provided the information that people need to make informed decisions. And we'll make sure that we put links to some scientific articles that um, you mentioned earlier. And I just really hope that, um, you know, our voices and other voices around this information specifically with you know the scientific backing to show what truly is or isn't risky because to be very frank if you're under eating your vegetables there are a lot of health risks including potential cancer associated with that and and that is very real and it's not to kid yourself that because you have a couple of bites of because frankly, when you mentioned vegetables in a frittata with steak and eggs, I was like, that's not enough vegetables. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, but if you're having a salad for lunch, like a big salad for lunch, or let's say you have a side of sauerkraut, or um, even a bowl of fruit can help. We didn't really cover fruit, but there are benefits. Most of the beneficial compounds in vegetables are also richly found in fruit. Right. So let's say, you know, you throw in you know, a a fruit with breakfast or, you know, a a small fruit bowl or whatever, and then you have a salad for lunch that, you know, it, those are the kinds of things that really add up to benefiting you health-wise. So, um, no one has ever recommended to eat less vegetables, like in, in any, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's out there. Uh, I was going to say, okay, yeah, I can just, I can just, it's a thing. Yeah, it's a thing. Anyway, ignore that part. (laughs) Let's say that Almost all dietitians, doctors, and scientific researchers will concur that eating more vegetables is a good thing. So, you know, when when in doubt, add more veggies to your plate. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, um, I'm going to let you get back to all of the hard work that you're working on. And, Thanks. Um, I enjoyed the uh, soapboxy ranty uh, distraction. I hope that it inspires you to push through. 
Um, having seen a preview of the book, I know that you're almost close to done. So um, good luck pushing through. And we will be back next week, everyone. Hopefully with this topic that we've been pushing off for like two months. <laughs> but um, we've been giving you good content anyway, right? Like this is, I feel good about the show and I know I really enjoyed having Danielle on the show so um, it's okay sometimes we make decisions to um, have different types of podcasts and we just we're, we're rolling with the punches Sarah we're you know we're not yet st- stuck in our ways old ladies whatever I'm not yet yeah not, we're not that that old lady yet (laughs) (laughs) not for at least uh like three more weeks for me (laughs) and then you know what's gonna happen you're gonna be sitting in your rocking chair talking about i'm gonna wave wave my cane at people (laughs) and i'm gonna talk about all the young people and all the bad things they do and uh yes that's a real thing that's happening to me. Like, I really have a problem with teenagers. And Matt's like, Stacey, you're going to have to get over it. Your son's almost a teenager. I'm like, oh, these children, these young kids, they don't know. They're so annoying. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, uh, yeah. It's going to happen. The, the, and I don't know if you, because you're like a bajillion years younger than I am. But bajillion is technically correct. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. No, I counted. And, um, I'm keep like seeing that I'm noticing a lot of the cultural differences between what teenagers are doing now versus what teenagers did when I was a kid. And it terrifies me because it was bad when I was a kid and I look at it now, I'm like, oh man, like, and I'm going to be nice. Just, just the perfect amount of out of touch to be (laughs) a horrible parent. And, uh, yeah, I, oh, yeah. Speaking of being in touch, can I recommend to you that as a reward for finishing your book, you either read or audio listen to The Martian? I already did that this summer. Oh, did you enjoy it as much as I thought you would? L- loved, loved. And it's like, I'm trying to figure out a babysitter to go see the movie because... That needs to happen. I was supposed to see the movie this weekend, but then I couldn't sit, so I didn't go. But I, I read the audiobook last week and really enjoyed it. And I was like, you know who would like this book? I read I read the book um, while we were in Canada in July. I, I read through like six books on <laughs> a two and a half week <laughs> vacation. I was like, oh my God, it's time to read. And um, that was one of them. Um, and lo- yeah, absolutely adored that book. And um have been so looking forward to the movie and if I don't if I don't see the movie while it's in theaters I will probably cry well nobody wants that so for those of you listening if you're looking for a good read if you want to if you want to babysit my kids this weekend <laughs> so Sarah can get some movie. <laughs> let me know um yeah so I Matt told me this is completely off topic and um he can put it in the bloopers if he wants but so Matt read it first got really into it and suggested I read it and then he was telling me that the author is actually a blogger who published the book as a, a series chap- of a chapter at a time on his blog yep. and then he he Put it up as a Kindle book because his readers were like, hey, I want this on my Kindle. Did it as a 99 cent Kindle book and it like blew up like crazy and now it's a bestseller in a movie with Matt Damon and whatever, whatever. So, And he's um, an engineer. 
I mean, just it's really read. fascinating read. And if you're into and the science, and very out accurate, and stuff. right? Like yeah. he put a lot of thought into like how what would the the technology actually be? How would the science actually do this? And so it that's to me because my little little known fact, my bachelor's degree is in physics. So and my husband's an astrophysicist. So like to me that that scientific reality and that that grounding in scientific realism is is so fundamental and so enjoyable and so rare. And so I I greatly enjoyed it. There we go. We recommended a book that has nothing to do with paleo. We'll put links in the show notes because if you're gonna go listen or download or buy it read the book first. It's you know it's a relatively fast read like and it's it's an amazing book. I haven't seen the movie yet, but I still say read the book first. And I I haven't actually physically finished a paper book since we started writing books many years ago. (gasps) So I get really into audiobooks and I can tell you that the audiobook was well done as well. I typically have an audiobook on the go that I listen to when I'm driving places. I should listen to podcasts, but I don't. I listen to audiobooks. And um, a, a, like a fiction paper or ebook, but like book book that I actually have to move my eyes across the words to read. Um, I usually have one of each on the go because it's, again, to bring this full circle, carving out even like 15 or 20 minutes a day to read for fun is one of the things that I have really made a priority over the last year to make sure that I'm maintaining my sanity. And it's really for me geared at just forcing my brain in a different direction. Because if I'm really into a fiction book, I'm not worried about whatever. And I'm not, right, I'm not doing that whole perseverative thinking cycle. So uh, I, I, if you want some other, some other recommendations for people who like The Martian, just let me know. Sweet. Well, we'll put links in the show notes because um, it helps Sarah and I and doesn't cost you anything if you use the links in our show notes if you're interested um, in checking out these books, although that wasn't necessarily our intention. (laughs) Um, But happy to know that something that I thought you would like. Yes. Something that I thought you would like, you do like. So got you pegged there, lady. Yes. Yes, you do. Everybody else have a wonderful week and we'll be back again and... um, Be careful what you read on the internet. This seems to be a recurring message in these podcasts. Definitely. And thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. How's your back? I am currently laying down to record this podcast. Hmm. Why am I not lying down to record this podcast? <laughs> I would happily trade you for the ability not to lay down. I don't actually know what Dropbox is doing, but presumably it's doing something. Okay, I'm ready. I'm ready, Freddy. Totally ready. Absolutely. 100%. And I didn't say see you next time. I think I think you're officially relieved of that. It's I'm, it's been a good like five or six episodes now. Since I'm learning. Excellent job. I'm wow. glad that that old dog can be taught new tricks. Well, for three more weeks, and then I'll be too old. <laughs> Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. 
With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.